The Old Testament reading for this morning Sunday in Advent comes from the prophet Micah, chapter 5, starting with verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading for this morning comes from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, starting with verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. according to St. Luke, the first chapter. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We've all uh, watched a, a movie in the movie theater, and we've all experienced the adrenaline of the, the chase scene or the uh, heartwarming moment when two people realize that they're in love or maybe a, a beautiful uh, grand scene of uh, some beautiful vista or something like that, the music swelling. But whether we come away from that movie with a warm, happy feeling or whether we feel like we've been dragged along on a roller coaster ride, we likely haven't gotten, given a lot of thought to what goes into the shooting of every single scene in that movie. All of the preparations, all of the set building, all of the getting the, the costumes on the, the actors just right, getting their lines just right, uh, lighting issues, sound dubbing, rehearsing of lines, and not to mention the refilming of the scene over and over again until everything is just the way the producer wants it. As we read the Bible, the, the story of God's salvation, it, it all unfolds in scenes. And God's scenes, of course, are infinitely more complex than any movie scene is, vastly more history and more preparation. Our gospel reading today is an example of that. It's a, a very earthy scene, is the way I like to describe it. Mary is a, a young woman. She is pregnant out of wedlock. She goes away from her family, uh, maybe away from the gossiping lips of people in her small Nazareth town. She goes to stay a while with her relative, Elizabeth, up in the hill country. And Mary comes into the house and she greets Elizabeth. And the, Elizabeth is pregnant also with the forerunner of the Christ, with John the Baptist. Both of them are carrying miraculous children. And it's a beautiful scene, a, a tender greeting between Mary and Elizabeth. But that's about as far as this scene goes to our eyes or to our ears. Uh, but we do know some of the backstory for some of the characters. Joseph is betrothed to Mary. He's, he's been visited by an angel, so he has decided not to divorce her. The child is from the Holy Spirit. The child will be the Savior. We know Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist. We know that of Mary's encounter with the angel. You know, we, we know uh, quite a lot of backstory. But beyond what we see happening, or even what the characters themselves know and understand, there's a lot more going on behind the scene. There's an overarching narrative and storyline, plotline, thousands of years of promises and preparation. And there's an example of this in our bulletin. So let's 
take a look at that at the scripture readings there on the back side of the bulletin. If you look at the last verse of the prophet Micah, the last line there, and he shall be their peace. And he shall be their peace. What does that have to do with this touching scene between Mary and Elizabeth? Well, it has a lot to do with it. Everything to do with it. And we just sang this hymn, The King Shall Come When Morning Dawns. Right? Uh, the King of all creation is coming. This season that we're in, this season of Advent, is a season of watching. It's a season of repenting because that king is coming to settle accounts. Now I'm going to date myself here a little bit. Uh, in the 1938 movie, now I wasn't around, I wasn't around in 1938, okay, but I have, I have seen black and white TV, so I, I am with many of you. In the 1938 movie Robin Hood, Robin comes to the aid of this, uh, I, I really like this character. I'm not going to tell you what his name is. You'll, maybe some of you will guess it if you've seen that movie enough times. He's the one that's sitting up in the tree. He's an archer. And uh, there's a deer down there. This is kind of in the opening scenes of the movie. And he shoots the deer and kills it. He gets down there and he's about to flay it, you know, he's about to, to um, dress it. And the king's men come riding up. And of course, it's against the law to shoot one of the king's deer. And they're going to arrest him. His name is Much. It's not much of a name, but that's, that's his name, Much. He's the miller's son, Much the miller's son. Uh, see, things are bad because uh, the true king, right, King Richard, has gone away on the Crusades and left England in charge of Prince John, his brother. And Prince John is making a lousy king, and he, everything is bad. And the people are starting to starve. And so much, the miller's son, he's got a choice to make. And he shoots the king's deer to feed his family. So much is down there. He's about to do this, and the, the king's men come riding up, and Errol Flynn, I mean Robin Hood, with great flair and fanfare, he comes to the rescue of Much, the miller's son, and he chases off Prince John's henchmen, who are trying to take him into custody. Of course, of course the king's law was not intended to make people starve. And you know that if King Richard had been there, things would be different. But life under Prince John has become so brutal that the law, having been transgressed, means that much is arrested on the spot. And the only remedy for much is for King Richard, the Lionheart, the true king, to sit once again on the throne. And when he does, King Richard pardons much, not, not personally, but as a group with all, all of Robin's men, too for all of their misdeeds, uh, quote, misdeeds in Sherwood Forest. Now we're going to leave that aside for a minute here. Advent is a season of introspection. 
It's a time when we anticipate the return of the true king. We anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. And he is coming to settle accounts. He is coming to judge the world. And as we examine ourselves, we see that we too have transgressed the king's law. We've hated instead of loving. We've wanted more and more for ourselves instead of being generous to our neighbor. We want people to think well of us, and so we feed our pride instead of humbling ourselves as the servants of all. We've set ourselves up as the authority in our life instead of acknowledging the authority of the true king, who is God. And behind the scenes of our sinful actions lies a corrupt and broken heart and mind. For transgressing the king's law, our lives are forfeit. Unlike the law in Robin Hood that would have had much as family starve, God's laws are right. God's laws are just. And so is the penalty, the penalty for our sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin, we're told, is death. Under God's just condemnation, then, you and I are not at peace. We are not at peace with God. But the good news from the prophet Micah is that he is our peace. Micah says, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God. Who is it that's going to shepherd? One who is to be ruler in Israel, Micah says. King in Israel, whose origin is of old, from ancient days. Who is this one who will shepherd us? Who will be ruler of God's people? Whose origin is from of old, from ancient days? Who is it that's eternal? So now we make another scene change. We go to our Hebrews reading. Verse 5. When Christ came into the world. You see, now Christ is the one. Christ is the eternal one whose origin is from of old. He is the one that God sent to shepherd his people. A shepherd protects his flock. A shepherd feeds his flock, cares for them. And how does Christ do that for us? We're still in the Hebrews reading. How does Christ do that for us? When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Now I want to stop there. We, we can recognize here this repetition that we find in Hebrew, right? Uh, these two statements are the same. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, and in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. It's a repetition of this thought, right? Well, why not? Didn't God establish the sacrifices? Didn't God put that all in place? What do you mean God doesn't want sacrifices? 
Well, we shift to another scene, to David and Bathsheba, and to that whole affair. The prophet Nathan speaks God's word to David, and David recognizes uh, that he has done a very wicked thing, that he has transgressed God's law. And in response, he writes Psalm 51, a plea for God and his mercy. And in that psalm, David writes this, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Very similar to what our reading is in Hebrews. Hebrews is quoting from the Old Testament. It's actually quoting from Psalm 41, I believe. But it's the same idea and these same words. David knows that the simple act of offering a burnt animal is not going to appease God, is not going to save him from what he has done. He can't erase what he's done with Bathsheba by killing an animal and burning it. He knows there has to be more. God does not want acts of worship that are not accompanied by worship of the heart. And how often are we caught in this trap also where we speak the words of worship. We go through the actions, but our hearts aren't in it, our minds aren't engaged in it. We're just going through the motions. And, and so David continues in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God, these are the sacrifices God wants. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now sacrifices in the Old Testament did remove sin. They did make atonement for sin. Not the mere sacrificing of the animal, but faith forward-looking to that one sacrifice that would be made. The one ultimate sacrifice of God's Son as the spotless Lamb. The one sacrifice that does take away all sin, making us righteous in God's sight. That's the power of the Old Testament sacrifices. Without the sacrifice of Jesus, the Old Testament sacrifices are impotent. They have no power. That's why it says, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. So we're back into the Micah reading now. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. God himself came down from heaven and was put into a body, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man so that he could be crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again from the dead, as was prophesied in the scriptures. That's what that means when it says in accordance, you know, according to the scriptures. It means in accordance with the scriptures, as it was prophesied. In this sacrifice of Jesus Christ, of his son, God is pleased. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. 
Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus came to do the will of his Father. And that will is this, that Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, would lay down his life for the sheep. The holy and sinless Son of God was made to be sin for us. Are we also to do the Father's will? How do we do that? What does that look like? What can I do or offer to make my peace with God? What is it that I can do to bring peace? What is God's will? Nothing that I can offer God will make up for or redeem me from my sin. But we are gathered here this morning to lift up our voices in thanks and praise to our God for our salvation, the God who shepherds us, to the God who has saved us. He makes peace. Our sins have been removed from us. They have been atoned for by the blood of the Lamb of God, the one whose origin is from of old, slain from the foundation of the world, as John says in Revelation. He is our peace. As Micah says, He is our peace. It is God's will that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has done the Father's will. He has satisfied the full requirements of the law on our behalf. He has made the sacrifice that pleases God the Father, that made satisfaction for our sin. He has offered His body, as Hebrews says, once for all. Elizabeth tells Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And so I say to you, dear saints, this morning, blessed are you, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Blessed are you among all people. And why is this granted to us that our God would send his only begotten son to die and to rise on our account? Well, for love. That's why. Christ came to do the Father's will for love of you and for love of me. Sinners now forgiven. Sheep of the shepherd's flock. In the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.